0: Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. Good morning. All right, so we're back in Revelation and we're going to start with Revelation 19, 11 through 16. The rider on the white horse then i saw heaven it disappeared on me then i saw heaven opened and behold a white horse the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes are a flame of fire and on his heads are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation 19, 11 through 16.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Travis. We are in our second to last week in the book of Revelation. And uh, what we're looking at today is Christ's return. So here we go. We've made it through all the, all the really difficult parts of the book. We have one more difficult thing to kind of look at, but uh, we, we dealt with the bowls, We dealt with the trumpets. We dealt with the seals. Those were fun, weren't they, you know? And we, we, we talked about God's uh, righteous judgment against sin and God's provision for his people. And now here we see the return of Christ. And we see today's sermon is entitled The Victory. The victory. The name of our our sermon series is The War is Over. And you might ask, well, why did we spend so much time in the book of Revelation? Next week will be week 11. I know it's felt like longer because there was that three-week period around Memorial Day where Mike and Andre preached about love God, love people, love yourself. And then the Ross family decided to get COVID. And so there was a few weeks in there that we were, uh, we had Pastor Larry uh, come and share. And then last week, Andre shared and but here we I know it might have felt like an eternity, you know, talking about Revelation eternity. But uh, but uh, here we are at week 10. In the book of Revelation, I think we're doing good for a book with uh, 22 chapters, you know? Uh, so here we are at week 10. Next week will be week 11, and we'll talk about the new city, the new Jerusalem that we will spend all of eternity. And I hope, you're, I hope you're, that you're excited for the way that this book ends. And you might ask, well, why do we spend so much time on the book of Revelation? Well, I invite you. Why don't you turn back? I don't have this on the screen, but turn back to Revelation chapter 1. Verse three, here's what it says, and here's the reason why we have not skipped why we've read every single word in this book. This is what it says. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. While Revelation may be a difficult book, God's Word tells us if we read it and we listen to it and we're in, we're, we put it into action, we're blessed. We're blessed. And so that's why we look at this book together. The book of Revelation, as my seminary professor put it, is a war of words. It's about confession. Uh, even what Travis just wrote about the sword coming out of the writer's mouth. Well, what is the sword in scripture? The, the Bible is, right, His word is active, right? Living and active is sharper than a double-edged sword. And we've heard that referred to many times even here in the book of Revelation. So what the war is won by the confession of who Christ is. The war is won by, by, by God who is in control. He is the ultimate revealer. Think back to the book of Genesis. In the beginning, right? And then when, th- when things started to get created was when he spoke, right? He spoke and it was. He is the ultimate revealer. So here we come and we have a glimpse to the end of the age and we see that his ultimate revelation is his glory and his presence with his people. So today, we're going to look at that victory, and the big idea that we're going to look at, I'm going to try to go quick, we're quarter to 11 right now. Last week, uh, First Baptist Robertsdale, they had a counter on the back wall. It was awesome. It told me when to, when to shut up and end, and maybe we should invest in that, so maybe, maybe we'll get that over in Kenner. Just give extra uh, financially today, and we'll get that. Uh, but you know, here's the thing, uh, I'm going to go as quick as possible, but here we go. Here's the big idea that we're going to unpack today. Christ is forever victorious. Christ is forever victorious. He won the war on the cross. He won the war when he brought you to himself. And he will win everything that comes. The war is over, and the war is done. And so what we see here, this rider on a white horse, he has four different names. And the names that are mentioned, maybe in fact that counteract what we we see the enemy in the book of Revelation, he's referred to as the dragon, serpent, devil, and Satan. Well, Well, God's like, okay, well, your name doesn't mean much. My name means more. So his name is this. First, it is... Faithful and true. Domitian, Domitian was faithless and untrue. Every Roman emperor, every every imp- evil empire in our day is false. But he is faithful and true. He also has a name written that no one knows but himself. And you're like, wait, hold on. You're giving us names, but now there's a name that no one knows who's written that 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 but himself. And and so what we get at here is that. we get to mystery. The reason why the book of Revelation is difficult at times is because we don't have it quite all figured out. It's a mystery. And that's a great thing because if we don't trust a God of mystery, a God that doesn't always make sense to us, then we don't have a God to follow. We, 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 We are ultimately gods ourselves. And that's really the longing of every evil human heart apart from Jesus is we desire to be our own gods. We desire to be in control of our own situations. We desire to have things the way that we want them, which is what goes back all the way to Genesis chapter 3. You can't eat of this tree, but we wanted that one thing that we could have. We could have everything but one thing, and we chose that one thing. So he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And you know what? He doesn't, he, he doesn't have to reveal it to us. I know we think one day we'll get up to heaven and he's just going to reveal everything. Don't you? You hope for that, right? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because he's God. He's trustworthy. We don't have to figure out that God predestines things to happen but gives us a free will. We don't have to figure that out. He does. It's who he is. His third name is the word of God. You look at the uh, Gospel of John we looked at uh, several months ago. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Down to verse 14 of chapter 1 of, of John, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beholded His glory. He is the Word. He is the Logos. He is the ultimate revealer. He is the truth. I love what my seminary professor, Gerald Stevens, wrote about this. He said, The beast can kill a believer but not silence the voice. The word of testimony is the sole weapon for conquering in this world. What destroys Babylon or any evil that we face is the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. His fourth name is this, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords has a tattooed on his side, right? And what that means is actually a funny thing is if you get really into the meaning, the the Hebrew back then could be transliterated into this thing called gematria where, where these these words actually had numerology connected to I know y'all get crazy in that numerology stuff, right? There's like documentaries online and all this. But do you know if you take out from King of Kings and Lord of Lords, if you take out ands, it adds up to 777. Seven, seven. Now, who is evil in the book of Revelation? The mark of the beast, right? 666. Six, six. Now, what's 6 one less than? 7. Wow. wow, it's that simple, right? He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So, let's continue to read the end of, end of chapter 19 of Revelation, picking up where Travis left off in verse 17. It says, and then I saw an angel. So here we have the, the rider on the white horse. White represents victory. And in fact, in this time, you didn't ride a horse until you were riding it in your victory parade. So what that's already indicating is the war is over. It's done. He's riding in in victory. Notice this, that he, everybody has white robes. White represent purity. They represent victory. The army that's with him is wearing white robes. Only one has a robe dipped in blood. That's the rider. It's Jesus. It's Jesus, the word of God, the king of kings, the lord of lords. And you know why he has a robe dipped in blood? It's not because he's about to get in the fight. It's because he won it already. His robe dipped in blood is his blood that was shed for us on a sinner's cross, and he comes back. And what we see is that then, verse 17, then an angel standing in the sun, I might be like, oh, that's weird, standing in the sun. Well, it could also be rendered on the sun. This just literally means the highest point in the heavens. Then he sees a vision of an angel, and with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, and he said, come gather for the great supper of God. Now, this is contrasting. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about the marriage supper of the Lamb, that those who are redeemed by Christ are invited to. Every tribe, nation, and tongue is invited to that follows Jesus. Now we have a, a more gruesome supper. We have a, a supper of judgment. And what we see is that this loud voice calls to the birds flying directly overhead. And he says, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains. And this is gruesome, but all this, this is imagery. It's simply representing the evil in their day, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders. We talked about the evil, the four evil riders earlier when we talked about the seals and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was seated on the horse and against his army. Now get this. Let's read verse 19 again. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And what you'll notice in the next verse, no battle is described at all. No war is described. The battle's done before it even begins. It was won on a cross. It was won for you and me. And then we see in verse 20, And the beast was captured. And with it the false prophet who in its presence had done signs by which he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast. We talked about the two beasts earlier and we talked about how it was evil religion and evil politics connected with religion. And don't we see religion and politics mixed in an evil way in our world today. And so those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped in his image, those two were thrown alive into the lake of fire. Fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth. The confession of him who was sitting on the horse and all the, bo- all the birds, this is gory, right? The, my, my kids should pay attention. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Ultimately, the enemies of God and those who oppose his goodness that he is destined for his people. Ultimately, they will, at the end of the day, become bird food. They will bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. But what scripture tells us, and I don't have it up on the screen, but I'll read it real quick. In Matthew 25, is that he separates these people. Everyone, we're going to talk about God's judgment throne here in a minute. But what we see is that when, in Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31... When, he gathered before, when they were gathered before him, he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed, inherit the kingdom of God. For from the foundation of the world, for when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger or a refugee, you took me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, You took care of me. When I was in prison, you visit me. And the king will answer the others. He will say, truly, the goats, he will tell them, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers, you did for me. And he will tell those who didn't do these things, depart from me, for I never knew you. Here's the first point. Christ is forever victorious, but his return is promised. His return is promised. The return of Christ is promised. Amen. Amen. He's coming. I know it might seem like 2,000 years is a long time to wait, but with him, right? 1,000 years is like a day. He's coming. He's coming. It may not be in our lifetime, but he's coming. He could come today. The eastern gates could break wide open that Revelation 19 is our reality, right? For those of us in Christ, we may not experience Revelation 19, but we definitely will experience Revelation 21. All things will be made new, right? We're gonna look at that next week. And so the return of Christ is promised. And now what we see in the first 10 verses of chapter 20 is that the return of Christ is perfect. Let's read in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key. Now keys represent authority. Travis got halfway back to my house today because I'd locked myself out of my house, and Laura was already up here practicing. And so you all know keys represent access and authority, right? You can't get into your house if you lock yourself out. Thankfully, I broke in a certain way, which I'm not going to tell you because you break into my house, you know? And so uh, Travis got to turn around and come back. He, he, didn't, he, wasn't, uh, he was my rescuer, but he didn't have to do it, you know? And so keys represent access and authority. And so what we see is that the angel who holds the key to the bottomless pit And a great chain in his hand. Verse 2 of chapter 20. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan. And he bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the pit and he shut it and he sealed it over him. So that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Until the thousand years were ended. And after that he might be released for a little. He must be released for a little while. Verse 4. And I saw thrones. And seated on them were those who had authority to judge what was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been, and think about all the evil in our world. Think about the, 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 the crisis with ISIS several years ago where Christians were beheaded. We know people all over the world giving their lives for the sake of the gospel. And here's the promise to them. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life. Come on now, Right? Oh, today you will be with me in paradise, is what the thief was told, right? They came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And the rest of the dead didn't come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is, this is the first resurrection. Now we're going to talk about first resurrections, second deaths and all this. There aren't, what we're, what we're seeing here is that first, you die physically. You were raised to life Spiritually. Some for eternity die spiritually. Those of us in Christ we will be raised with a new body. Right? Resurrect. I'm looking forward to my resurrected body. You know what I mean? I hope you are too. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. That's our promise. Right? Blessed are those who experience this first resurrection verse 6 blessed and holy is the one who shares in this first resurrection over such the second death has no power but they will be priests to God what do we call? We're a, we're a kingdom we're, we're a kingdom of priests to our God and Father right We will be priests to God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. let's go to verse 7. And when the thousand years were over, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out and deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, meaning everywhere, now, here we go, Gog and Magog, and if you didn't know what Gog and Magog is, look up in the book of Ezekiel, chapters 38 through 48, it talks about an evil empire symbolized by an evil ruler named Gog and his kingdom, Magog, and they would come upon God's people, and, but then they would be defeated, and the temple would be rebuilt, and they would reign. So what this encouragement is to God's people is there is nothing in the book of Revelation that hasn't yet been told in God's word. And so what he's saying is it's not on us to figure out if Gog is Russia. It's not on us to figure out if Gog is China. You know what? Gog may in fact be us. What it does say is this, Gog and Magog don't even stand a chance that he is victorious, the war is already over before it even begins. He gathers them, and, and also Revelation is like the end of the book, of the, uh, have you ever, not the book, but you ever watched the movie The Lord of the Rings, the last movie, The Return of the King? It's like four hours long or something like that. And it ends after like you know two and a half hours, and it takes an hour and a half to end. You ever seen that? It takes forever to end. That's kind of what Revelation is. Revelation is kind of repeating the same thing over and over. We've already seen Armageddon. This is Armageddon. This is, this is the war that was already over before it even started. He's just repeating it over and over and over through visions to tell us a point. I've already won. It's over. It is done. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. The beginning and the end. When, when he cried out on the sinner's cross, when Jesus cried out, It is finished. It wasn't just finished for that moment. It was done for all time. His words are true, right? And so what we see is that when the thousand years were ended, Gog and Magog they gather for battle, Into verse 8... And their number is like the sand of the sea, meaning it's a whole lot of enemies against God. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth, and they surrounded the camp of the saints, the people of God, the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beasts and the false prophet were, because that's his destiny, right? And, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. The war is already over. So here's what we see. The, the return of Christ is promised, but the reign of Christ is perfect. The reign of Christ is perfect. And where do I get that from? I get that from the usage of a thousand years. Now here's our last controversial thing in the book of Revelation. Hopefully, right? The millennium. Y'all have heard about that, right? You say Revelation, you talk about the millennium all the time. There's three different divergent thoughts on the millennium. One is you're either a premillennialist, which means that you believe that Christ is going to return before the millennium, and then there's going to be a period of blessedness. There's also what they call postmillennialism, which means that there's going to be a period of blessing, and then Christ is going to return after that. Then, lastly, you have amillennialism, which means that there's no literal thousand-year reign. It's simply symbolic and that we are currently living in the final chapter of human history. Now, where do I stand? I don't mind telling y'all. I probably lean on millennial. I grew up premillennial because if you grew up in church in the 70s and 80s, you were premillennial. That's kind of what, we th- what we were taught. Here's the thing. I don't care. I don't care. He's coming back. It, don't, it doesn't it matter if he comes back before 1,000 years. It doesn't matter even if we're in it right now. It doesn't matter if he comes back after. He's coming back. He's coming back, and I'm in him. So at the end of the day, these things don't divide. They're secondary issues. In fact, I don't think we're meant to figure it out. I think the big idea is that we should be encouraged to be faithful in the moment here and now. So the return of Christ is promised. The return of Christ is perfect. I'm already at my last point. I'm doing really good. Here we go. Last point is this. The resolve of Christ is portion. Let's read the end of chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence the earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead... Great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. And another book was open, it was called the Book of Life. And the dead were judged by what was written in these books, according to what they had done. Two books one, a book of God's sovereignty, another book of our choice. What was written in these books are one, God's plan. And then the other book was written what we had done. Here's the good news for those of us who are in Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done. Bible says in Romans 8 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When he saved you, he saved you from past, present, and future sin. Think about it for think about your children. Y'all know children are bad. Children are bad. But when you've chosen them, when you've adopted them, I'm not just talking about adopting, I'm talking about you've accepted them, you've taken responsibility for them. It doesn't matter what they do, you still love them. God gives us a picture through even us having children or us having families. He gives us a picture into what it looks like to be a part of the spiritual family of God. Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Furthermore, it says that it's by grace that you've been saved, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, not of yourself as a gift from God, not of works, not of what you can do so that no one can brag or boast. But we are his workmanship, and workmanship means masterpiece in the Greek. We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus, and he's prepared good things for us to do in advance. He predestined us long ago for this moment to do good. Hurricane Ida didn't catch God off guard. God knew for such a time as this, we would be there to, to, to help the hurting. It doesn't matter what comes from now on. It will not catch him off guard. He has prepared us for this time. But we know that, yes, it's by faith that we're saved alone, but works accomplish faith. What we do doesn't save us, but those who are saved, they're going to bear some fruit, right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. We see James writes in James 2, verse 17, so faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, it's what? Dead. It's dead. So we see as God judges us by uh, his own sovereign choice and also by the choice that we have made, whether to choose or not to follow him. Verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead and those who were in it. Death and Hades. Death is, is what happens. Hades is the place of death. They gave up those who were in them and they were judged, each one of them for what they have done. And this verse 14 better get you excited. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is it's done, right? Amen. Death is no more, right? Amen. It's gone. It's gone. I, I love, I love First Corinthians fifteen, twenty-six. I tweeted this out earlier in the week. The last enemy to be destroyed is what? Death. It's gonna be gone. It's gonna be over. The war is over. This is the second death of the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So here's what we see: the return of Christ is promised. The reign of Christ is perfect, but the resolve of Christ is portion. He will portion the sheep from the goats. And I ask you today, are you a goat or are you a sheep? A sheep might be dumb but a sheep trusts its shepherd. And if you don't if you if you don't yet accept that you don't have it all together, there's no way that you'll ever follow the shepherd. We all have to be guided. He guides us with a staff but also a rod of iron that gets the enemies away from us. He's a good shepherd. And his justice will never fail. Romans 14:10 through 13 says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now let this, let this sink in as we close. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as long as the, uh, as long as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will have to give an account of God, of himself to God. That That might scare some of us, but uh, hopefully I can take the fear away. Not me. God's word will take the fear away. Everyone will give an account of himself to God. Furthermore, you know, I'm going to confess with you. You know what scares the living tar out of me? And it probably does Pastor Abel, too, as, as a leader of a church. Hebrews 13, 17 says that we give an account for those that we oversee. Not only am I accounted for my own. I'll just say it my own stupidity because I'm dumb sometimes. Like, Not only am I accountable for that, not only am I as the head of the house accountable for my family, I'm accountable for everyone in this room. That scares the snot out of me. But here's the good news. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Now get that. We will all give an account to God. And the application of that is, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather let us never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of any brother or sister who needs the good news of Jesus. Read this several weeks ago. Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher that I'm sure you've heard of. Charles Spurgeon once said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. Let me say that again. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our prayers and our exertions. And let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. Christ is forever victorious. And our goal, our charge as the people of God is to invite as many people as we can to join the worshiping family of his people. The, one, the, the family that will stand before God, but God will say, I don't care about what you've done. I care about what my son did for you. Amen. Come Come, be with me for all of eternity. We're going to look at that next week. I hope you're excited to learn and look at what eternity is going to look like, the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. That's our destiny for those of us who are in Jesus. And here's how we can follow Jesus. We end every week, and hopefully it's just not something that we repeat every week and you lose sight of what it is. Romans 10.13 says this, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you've done. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone, right? That's why you see revivals breaking out in prison, right? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Every person in Russia who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone in China that calls upon the name of the Lord. Everyone in Australia, everyone in Djibouti, everyone ev- everyone, everywhere who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Even people that live on the West Bank who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's our goal, like Charles Spurgeon said. If they choose to not call upon the name of the Lord, at least let them go and let it be their choice and let them never have an excuse for not calling upon that name. May we wrap our arms around people who desperately need the good news of Jesus and not preach hell and condemnation, preach the hope of Jesus Christ. Let that be our battle. Let that be our charge. Let that be the war that we fight today. Let's war with a confession of who Jesus is. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for being our God and King. Lord, we thank you that you're coming back as a rider on a white horse, victorious, coming back for your people. Lord. Lord, until that day comes, Lord, if this today be the day that we breathe our last, Lord, let us have the confidence that we will reign with you until you come back and establish your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So God, help us today to call upon your name. Lord, maybe there's someone here today who's sick and is hurting and they need to call upon your name. Lord, maybe there's someone here that you're birthing vision. You're telling them to do something and there's fear, whether it be finances or, or social situation, whatever that might be. Lord, help them to call upon your name. Lord, maybe there's someone here today who doesn't know you. Maybe, Lord, they think you're false and you're fake. God, I pray today that they would give you a try. And they would call upon your name. God, I thank you that you cleaned up the mess of Genesis 3 for me on the cross. I thank you that the war is over before it even began. I thank you for loving me. And I pray that everyone in the sound of my voice would know the same reality that I know. It's in your name that we pray and respond. Amen.